The Money Show. The Big Issue. Welcome to The Money Show. Every opportunity I get, I recommend to people that they read the Nobel Prize winning economist Joseph Stiglitz's 2012 book, The Price of Inequality, How Today's Divided Society Endangers Our Future. Um, it's an American book with an American focus, but it's very, it's absolutely prescient in terms of South Africa, where we are one of the world's most, if not the most, unequal society. Joseph Stiglitz is the Nobel Prize winning economist. He's scheduled to speak at the Discovery Leadership Summit uh, this Thursday the 5th of March and it's a great pleasure to welcome Professor Joseph Stiglitz from Manhattan uh, to the Money Show this evening. Professor Stiglitz, welcome to the show. Nice to be here. Um, Inequalities on our minds this evening, Professor. You're going to be speaking at the Discovery Leadership Summit. Is that where you're focusing or are we in for a different kind of treat? Well, I'm going to be talking about uh, uh, a broader set of issues including the, the, the global economy, but one of the key messages is that there, the reason the global economy is as weak as it is, is uh, one of the reasons is uh, the fact that there is growing inequality, and that one of the very disturbing aspects of this growing equality is not just that the rich are getting uh, richer, uh, it's that actually most citizens are not doing very well. Uh, they may perceive themselves to be doing well. I mean, the theory being, and especially in, in American economics, I think the concept of trickle-down economics is if the super-rich do well, everybody else benefits. And you set out a very compelling case as to why you don't believe that to be the case. Yeah, I wish it were true, because if it were true, given how much money is going to the top, everybody would be doing very well. But in fact, when you look at the numbers, uh it's quite the contrary. In fact, uh, the uh, income of a full-time male worker in the middle, half above, half below, median we call it, is actually lower in the United States now than it was 40 years ago. And the median income of the typical family um, is actually uh, as low as it was a quarter century ago. So what what is very clear that while those at the top have done very, very well, they've gotten about just to give you one example, 95% of all the gains since the so-called recession ended in 2009 have gone to the top 1%. Uh, the majority of American citizens are really uh, not participating in, in, in the so-called prosperity. We, we saw some protest action. We saw the, the, the we are not the 1% movement. We saw the movement of the 99%. There were some campouts happening in Manhattan where you're based. Um, however, that seems to have died away. Have people accepted the status quo that the world is unfair and we simply have to leave with it? Or is there still a sort of a, a revolutionary undertone going on? I'm not sure there, I would call it a revolutionary undertone, but there is uh, real unhappiness. Uh, the problem with the Occupy Wall Street, Occupy movement was that they were very committed to not being organized. Um, they, 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 some of them saw uh, organization as, the, as part of the evil problems they, that our society was uh, facing. And, but you can't solve problems of this magnitude without some kind of organizational structure. Um, but uh, the president uh, has actually said that this is the fundamental issue that he wants to focus on in the remaining years of his term. And both parties have agreed that equality of opportunity is a vital issue. And the fact is, not only is America 
been marked by high levels of inequality of outcomes, it actually has very low level of opportunity. You're familiar with South Africa. You've been here very, several times before. You uh, you worked with our government in terms of the Walmart takeover of, of MassMart in South Africa. You know, I'm sure, that our Gini coefficient suggests we're the most unequal society in the world. If you think America's got problems, um, give us a sense of your thoughts on South Africa with our huge Gini coefficient. Well, obviously, uh, as you say, the data data shows that South Africa, uh, this is a real, real issue. Um, each country has its own particularities, its own history. Uh, it's not surprising that you have a high level of inequality, given the history of apartheid, uh, given uh, uh, the fight against apartheid, which uh, in the process of which many people did not get an adequate education. So uh, in, a, in a sense, uh, we shouldn't be surprised. But of course, that doesn't mean that we should accept it. And I think uh, this should be, and I think in many ways is, at the center of, of, of the efforts of, a lot, uh, of the government. But you cannot have um, uh, a, a society of opportunity, a society of uh, an even modicum of, of equality when you have as high unemployment rate as you have. So I see the, the, the two key issues that your country faces, high unemployment and high inequality, is almost two sides of the same coin. What is the consequence of persistent inequality? Well, the title of my book... Uh, Trying to encapsulate, I think, what I would describe as the uh, modern, correct view on this issue, societies face a very high price for uh, inequality, particularly when inequality reaches the high level that it does in the United States and South Africa. Uh, I think there are also costs not only for our economy, but for our society more broadly, for our democracy, Inevitably, economic inequality translates into political inequality, and that undermines uh, our, uh, our, our, our democracy. Free market um, proponents would argue that, well, all you've got to do is open up the taps, allow business to, uh, to business to succeed, allow business to grow. Business creates jobs. Governments don't create jobs. And the free market will take care of it. I don't think you're in that particular space, are you? We've seen uh, – we have the answer uh, in the United States because uh, the United States is one of the most free market economies, and uh, it has generated the – uh, highest level of inequality of the advanced countries. Uh, the uh, uh, And we can trace uh, a lot of the inequality uh, to the way markets work or don't work. Uh, for instance, a lot of the inequality at the top comes from rank-seeking, from uh, uh, those uh, uh, who have economic and political power exercising their power, uh, to get a larger share of the pie, not to make the economy bigger, but actually uh, to basically take a larger fraction of the wealth of our society. So you see that in the form of monopolies. Monopolies make money not by expanding output, but by contracting output. You see it in the form of the CEOs, where in the United States, typical CEO gets 250 times the wage of the uh, typical worker. Uh, out of out of 
line with the productivity out of the contribution that they're making. Um, you, you you see it uh, in uh, the financial sector, which in the United States made a lot of its money by actually uh, taking money from the middle and the bottom of the pyramid and moving it to the top through predatory lending, abusive credit card practices, uh, monopolization, uh, market manipulation. So one of the themes that I've emphasized that actually if we made markets work like they're supposed to, make markets work competitively, we would actually have more efficiency, more employment, and uh, more equality. So, in fact, we can get more both, uh, and it's, it's the, the uh, unfettered markets, which often are uncompetitive markets, that uh, are part of the source of the problem. Um, I'm on Twitter. You're on Twitter. Uh, Mandy Deval in South Africa is on Twitter. She tweeted me earlier. She wants to know why you refer to free market economists as fundamentalists. Oh, it's... It, 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 it's the notion that uh, they believe uh, in a religion. The religion is uh, a kind of fundamentalist religion that if only you let unfettered markets uh, operate, uh, they uh, would yield all these wonderful outcomes. Um, so it's, it's, it's like religious fundamentalism. It, this is market fundamentalism. It's not based on economic science because we know that uh, unfettered markets uh, can lead to monopolization, can lead to all these adverse uh, marketing stabilities, uh, uh, pollution, um, and it will produce not only too much of some bad things, like I've just described, but too little of some good things, like innovation. It actually doesn't is not as innovation innovative as we would like. That a very large fraction of the most important innovations, like the internet, came from the public sector. So we understand the role of the market. It plays a very important mark, uh, role, but it has to be balanced off with an important role for government, important role for civil society. We've got a growing number of people in South Africa who feel economically disenfranchised. We've got an election coming up in two months' time. Many pundits are forecasting support for parties with a a greater socialist agenda. Is that the way of introducing greater equality, is to become more socialist in one's uh, political persuasion? I try to avoid those kinds of labels because they have, you might say, a historical overtone um, that... In the 19th century, early 20th century, we had a lot of debates about what kind of economic system would work well. Um, And part of that agenda was to say that government ownership was absolutely essential. And today we we see things a little bit differently. Uh, Ownership uh, is not necessarily the critical issue, although it doesn't make any sense uh, for to have private ownership of facility uh, prisons or private ownership of facilities that make nuclear bombs. Um, we, in the United States, we actually privatized the the company that that uh, uh, made enriched uranium, and it's been an absolute disaster. So those uh, those examples are are you know there there is a role uh, for 
uh, in some areas for for government ownership. But the key thing is a a pragmatic role of trying to find the right balance between the market uh, and and the state, and that uh, entail may entail. Um, uh, basic research conducted by the government or supported in universities by the government. It may entail the subsidies, uh, encouragement through one mechanism or another of uh, certain sectors of the economy. It may entail um, government help to uh, the very poor, uh, important role for government in education, health, social sectors. Um, so it's less ideological and more based on a let's look at each country, each sector on a, a case-by-case basis, but with a philosophy, with an understanding of the circumstances in which uh, the, the you might say the advantages of markets and the limitations, the advantages of government and the limitations, and how they can best work together with each other and check each other. Professor Joseph Stiglitz, we look forward to having you at the Discovery Leadership uh, Summit this week. A renowned American economist, he's a Nobel Prize winner. He's also the author of a fabulous book, which is The Price of Inequality, an American book about America, but it's well worth a read and a bit of a wake-up call for us in South Africa. Patrick Bond on the line to us from Durban this evening, Senior Professor of Development Studies at the University of KZN. Have you ever met Joseph Stiglitz, Patrick? Uh, Indeed, I have. It's good to be with you and your listeners, Chris, because... uh we are hearing uh, a gregarious man, uh, an honest man, a man who uh, looks at his colleagues as economists and and uh, sneers at them and, and is very open about that. It's, it's a wonderful um, opportunity for those who can get to, to hear him in person. I met him actually on an airplane just over 15 years ago. He sat uh, next to me. It was, you know, Air Canada had a quite a, um, uh, you know, sort of, egalitarian philosophy, no, no business class on the author of Washington flight. And he just gossiped away. It was just tremendous. He also was gossiping about his, his new PR man. It's named, uh, you may remember, uh, Chris, from the old days of journalism, if you ever read the Suetan back in the day, Ishmael Lachardin. Ishmael yes. uh, was Trevor Manuel's uh, public relations man and in the uh, late uh, 90s had to defend gear. Remember, very controversial. And then Stiglitz picked him up. And, and actually, Ishmael did quite a good job and uh, helped Stiglitz develop a new ideology. They called it the post-Washington consensus. Very, very interesting connections here. Uh, and Stiglitz is sort of Keynesian in his perspective. I mean, he, he is he, he's a, a very different kind of economist. He certainly is one that doesn't stick to any particular, it would seem, sort of, uh, common philosophies on economics. You're right, and you heard these very interesting micro-regulatory strategies that he that he was going through, what he thinks should happen. I don't think he's Keynesian. I actually asked him that on that plane ride, because um, you remember in 98, we were just in absolute chaos here. Uh, we had to raise the interest rate 7% because of capital flight, lost a third of the currency, half the stock market crashed, the whole East Asian meltdown uh, was uh, contagious, right, in South Africa was hit amongst the hardest, right after Russia defaulted. And then um, the biggest uh, fund in the U.S., uh, long-term capital management, three Nobel Prize laureates had helped to design the hedge fund. It crashed. And then the Malaysian prime minister put on exchange controls. And I remember uh, Stiglitz just sat in that plane chip shaking. He wasn't sure what to do because this was now going wild. He thought it was going to go overboard. Are you a Keynesian? I asked him. He said, no, no, no. But, you know, (laughs) since then, he's gotten quite radical. And he even praises the people out at Seattle in 99 for radicalizing the discourse. I think he was quite sympathetic with Occupy as well because it helps him as a more moderate 
fellow if he's got a kind of left flank to make him seem much more reasonable. And I hope he is a little bit more radical when he comes uh, because I was expecting something a bit more forthright. Perhaps he's keeping his powder dry for the Discovery Leadership Summit because he is the guy who is waving the flag saying, guys, if the, the world is America's unequal and he's concerned about America. I mean, if he could just have a close look at South Africa, I think he'd, have a, he'd never sleep again. Well, he's been here a few times and he does know, mm. but I think he's a diplomat and um, he has helped uh, Rob Davies, the, the trade uh, minister. You know, he's, he's connected, but I think, for example, all those um, problems that he's identified in the U.S., why the markets aren't working, uh, for example, uh, monopolies. Well, we certainly have these constructions. We have one or two, yes. Everything else, CEO pay, out of control. You just mentioned Dave King. But, you know, we just had this Pricewaterhouse uh, Cooper survey last month that showed our our corporate uh, bigwigs are about the nastiest fraudulent characters in the whole world business. And then we've got financiers, predatory lending, the machinises, the, the, um, the garnishy orders. We've got the, the, the Wild West of brutal capitalism. And as you say, it's no surprise with the highest Gini coefficient among large countries. Okay, we're a little behind Botswana and Namibia, but uh, pretty much right up there. But the thing is, you know, it's gotten worse. He didn't really get that. He said inequality in South Africa is the inheritance and bunch of education. But he didn't kind of say, well, maybe it's gear and maybe it's quite pro-corporate policies of the government uh, letting the financial uh, markets run wild. They've gone from about 12 to 21 percent of GDP. And then also letting uh, rich folks move their money abroad. I mean, that's been probably the single biggest uh, crippling force in the balance of payments, which is the biggest chunk of our balance, uh, our current account deficit. So if, for example, we had uh, wanted to move towards exchange control instead of liberalizing them, we definitely wouldn't have uh, as bad inequality as we do today. Patrick Bond, we need to get you in studio one of these days. Senior Professor of Development Studies at the University of KZN. Look forward to meeting you face-to-face one of these days. Thank you for your thoughts.